Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to the penultimate episode of this season. <laughs> I think the whole season you've spoken to newbies. They're all newbies. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, and I think this person's a newbie as well. She is indeed a newbie, not to me. I've been following her and very much enjoying the way she exists in the world, if that doesn't yeah. sound too weird, for quite some time. Uh, but yes, new to the podcast. I think we've spoken about her on the podcast. I know I certainly have. Friend of the friend of the show. <laughs> exactly. Friend of the friend. Uh, so Mary Beth LaRue is today's guest and she's also Jackie Carr's best mate. Um, and they used to run a business together called Rock Your Bliss back in the day when I first interviewed Jackie. So she's been on my radar for a long time. Um, but I, I, it's taken us a while to get our uh, schedules aligned. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that it happened when it did. You said something to me after I finished this recording. Oh, yeah. What did I say? I mean, heaps of things, most of them. Inappropriate to repeat on the podcast. Yep. Um, <laughs> but the specific thing I was thinking about. No, you said I looked lighter. Oh, after. I think I remember saying that. Yeah. yeah. Trust me, you said it. Hmm. Um, and I felt lighter after this conversation. So I say that because I feel like it happened at the exact right time. And there is quite a bit of that thread through this whole conversation of letting things be what they need to be, mm -hmm. you know, um, and the messy middle. And we talk a lot throughout all the topics that we cover, which are quite varied, uh, about the idea of not living in a linear or a binary kind of way, you know, black and white, yes or no, in or out. Mm. And, yeah, I just felt really wonderful after talking to Mary Beth. So, so what does Mary Beth do now after Rock Your Bliss? So she's a yoga teacher. Huh. She is a phenomenal yoga teacher and um, she teaches online these days and is also a yoga teacher training teacher Oh yeah, uh, and runs retreats and things like that. She's actually on a physical retreat at the moment in Guatemala. It looks amazing. Whoa. <laughs> so she teaches yoga and um, she specializes. A lot of her, her work now revolves around um, slow yoga, like slow flow, where she ties music um, and she talks a little bit about this in the, the episode that works with music at a particular beats per minute. That's and, wild. Yeah. And, and works her, uh, you know, creates the, the routines and the flows around that. Um, but also through this, I, she works around this idea of embodiment in yoga. And we talk about that a lot um, because, you know, it's, it's like one of those words that you hear and you're like, I have a general vague idea what that means, but what does it really look like? Mm. So she also works um, with people online to develop this idea of embodiment through coaching and also through her yoga training. So where can people go and check out her work? So if you head to marybethlarue.com, it's um, Mary Beth as you'd expect, larue, L-A-R-U-E.com, you'll find links to her um, offerings, her programs, her teacher training, and you can also find her at marybethlarue on Instagram. Very good. Now, we've got uh, one episode of the podcast left, and that is going to be a host for... It is. Left of the season, I should say. Yes. 
<laughs> Not left forever. No. No, never fear. But that will be next week. It has gone so fast. It has, hasn't this season. it? Yeah. I'm looking forward to recording this hostful. Yeah. It's, I, it feels to me like it's been ages since we've done a hostful. Mm. I guess it has been a number of months. Yeah. So it'll be fun. It will be fun. It'll but be fun. I've got a few things to, to talk about in terms of future stuff. Sweet. <laughs> Sounds vaguely interesting. <laughs> or interestingly vague. But you decide, dear listener. But for now, enjoy the episode. Mary Beth, hello, how are you? Great, happy to be here. I'm just quietly so thrilled that we're connecting. <laughs> It's taken a bit. It's taken a bit, but you've been um, on my radar for a long time because of the Divine Jackie Carr. Um, <laughs> that's how I came across you and your work. But um, I'm so excited to dig into this conversation with you because I feel like just from the few minutes we've spoken before we hit record, there's a lot of different places we can go. Um, so where we end up is anyone's guess, I think. <laughs> perfect my favorite <laughs> choose your own adventure Ex- exactly exactly <laughs> um I loved those books as a kid actually just Me as a, an aside mm, I think there I it's really funny that you mentioned that because I've been working on some kids books ideas and stuff and that's something that I keep coming back to this idea of choose your own adventure and I love the idea mm-hmm. of giving kids but also by extension adults practice at what it looks like to recognize that there's not just one right way forward you know Mm. there's lots of different ways and everything has consequences of course but everything every choice that we make opens up you know this whole other world of possibility absolutely can you write an adult one too please I guess that's what we're doing every day but I I prefer I often prefer it in a book (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's neater in my bed in my pajamas yes please (laughs) Um, but I do think that there's something there, you know, the playfulness of choice, you know, um, so often we're kind of given this idea that these choices are big and they're serious and often they are, but there's also playfulness and, you know, joy that can be attached to making decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that was a random place to begin. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to start with the idea of presence because, um, obviously we've never met in person. So, you know, this is a very much an assumption made off social media and your writing, but you strike me as someone who at the heart of what you do, um, is this desire for presence, you know, to be fully immersed in the moment of life, in the, the ups and the downs, the, you know, the pain and the joy. Is that something that you have always been able to do or you know wanted to do or is that something that you've grown into Mm. wow that that definitely lands I I think it's always been a part of me like I remember when I was little noticing moments the way like light would hit something and I would just be in awe of it or in wonder and then as I got older and was exposed more to the grown-up world the grown-up way of things, I started to lose that sense of magic. And I noticed that I was already at a young age working to get to the end of a to-do list or to accomplish something that brought about a sense of worthiness or praise maybe from my parents or whoever. And yeah, I think that I, my whole journey in life is finding my way back to that like little girl 
of being able to pause. And now that I have a four-year-old, you know, little boy that he helps me pause and to notice. And so that's a huge part of my work, I would say. And, and mostly my, my personal work. Right. Um, and I mean, as a, as a yoga teacher, as someone who takes people through the process of unlocking, you know, their own inner work, their own personal work as well, how uh, can you ever make a distinction between your personal work Mm-mm. and your professional work? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I think I was meant to, to do something. I think we're all meant to do something where those lines are blurred a little bit so that it, it does feel connected mm. and and for me, embodied, which embodiment is one of my favorite words and what I base my, my work around. I think that what I do find, though, is when I'm stuck, my work is stuck. Right. Oh, that hits me really hard. Like, <laughs> right in the guts. <laughs> I'm like, when does this new year start? March 9th? Right. Uh, maybe next month. <laughs> 100%. You know, and I think that that relates kind of back to my first question, because um, I wanted to ask you about as someone, you know, you're someone who shows up, you're, in, you practice embodiment in all kind of areas of life and work, um, and presence when things are stuck, when you, when it is hard, when, you know, there is so much pain, as I know, so many of us are experiencing at the moment, mm-hmm. I, I get a sense. I mean, I know I, I feel things on a really deep level and it is, it can be really kind of soul crushing. Mm -hmm. How do you, I mean, do you experience that? I guess is the first question. And if so, how do you navigate that? You know, um, as someone who wants to be present, you don't want to hide from the reality of of all the feelings. How do we navigate it? Mm. I mean, I absolutely experience that. And the way that I look at it is if I'm hiding from pain, I'm not going to be touched by joy either. And so if I'm shutting down one part of my heart, it's all shutting down. And while the idea of staying open through hard things or just through daily life right now can feel really daunting, on the other side is a sense of space. And so if we're willing, you know, one thing I say to myself all the time is I'll put my hand over my heart and I'll say, I will not abandon you. And this is something that started a few years ago when I would speak in front of people or teach big yoga classes because I'm actually pretty shy in front of groups. And I would just say to myself, I will not abandon you. There's nothing you can do up there that would, you know, make me flee. And so when I can stay, keep, I would say that sense of self with a capital S, Mm. you know, um, in tandem with myself as I move through the world, then it's a much more satisfying experience. Am I doing it all the time? Absolutely not. I'm a human. But just coming back to that knowing of it's better to be fully in it than to hide is something that I've learned, I would say, mostly over the last few years, especially mm. um, in our, our journey with our son. Yeah, which um, if you're happy to talk about that, I'd love to ask you um, because it, uh, you know, on a very big picture, 10,000 foot view um, in, a, in that sort of way is about uncertainty, right? So mm-hmm. um, would you mind sharing just a little of what that journey with mm-hmm. your son has been like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we ch- chose to enter parenthood through foster care. And so we fostered our son, his name is Angel, um, from the time he was six days old. And then we adopted him when he was two and a half and he's now four. 
And during that time, it was just, I mean, an absolute roller coaster. I remember saying to my my coach, I'm like, this is a roller coaster. And she's like, you don't sign up for foster care thinking it's a it's a canoe or a kayak, right? It's it's going to be the nature of what it is is a roller coaster. And so during that time, you know, it's just a lot of ups and downs. He unsure if he was staying with us for years. And that's where this all really started for me, I would say. Um, I've always been able to see like the glimmers or the bright spots, but to be able to stay with myself, like you said, when things are hard and to be able to, I would say to not label it as like, this is a good experience. This is a bad experience. It's only a good experience if it goes the way I want it to go. Instead, it's just an experience, right? And not only that, it's the most life-altering heart explosion of an experience ever, you know, becoming a mom and in this way. And so I think once I was able to step away from the, the black and white, this or that, I could walk somewhere down the middle mm. and find a sense of peace, a sense of peace daily, not a full, not heaps of peace, but a sense. <laughs> a glimmer of peace, a moment moments, of peace. Moments, I found the glimmers again. Yeah. But I mean, I love, I love what you said about kind of walking somewhere in the middle because mm-hmm. already we've only been speaking for 10 minutes or so. And I, I feel like there's this very much a theme running through this conversation of most things don't exist in the this or the that. Most things yeah. are not, uh, you know, black or white, yes or no, mm-hmm. in or out. It's it's navigating that space in between, which is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to be closer to one end. Other times you'll be closer to the other end. Most days you will swing wildly between. Yes. And learning how to view it all as valid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important. I Um, think too, it's why we have such an upset. I mean, there's many reasons, but such an upset in our world. And it's this idea that I need you to be in this box and stay put. Right. Right. Or you're here or you're there. And for me, one thing I've been exploring is just the way that my own judgments come up, mm. right? That's like definitely a knee jerk thing for me is, is protecting myself through judgment and noticing that and then going, okay, where's that from? Why? Unpacking it a little bit more mm. and seeing, seeing what's there. Cause like you said, it's not this or that it's somewhere. Yeah. I know for me, so much of that knee-jerk reaction, judgment kind of response is fear-based. Oh, um, me too. And it's not necessarily fear of someone else presenting differently. It's more fear of being found to be flaky in myself, if that makes mm. sense. Mm-hmm. I, you know, um, I think part of what comes as being someone who is open and tries to remain open and broad-minded is that sometimes it's difficult to land in a place of concrete, definitive position. Mm-hmm. Um, and to feel safe, right? To yes. feel like a sense of safety, which that is something for me that has been missing for a few years now and to create that for myself through these, through practices. Yeah, oh, exactly. You know, and I think it had been me looking for it elsewhere. What, mm-hmm. Give me an ism, give me something, give me a club to, to join and I will mm-hmm. find my sense of belonging and then I'll be good and I can navigate, you know, with that mm-hmm. sense of security. 
And I'm discovering over and over and over again that you're not going to find that anywhere. You're not going to find it in another person. You're not going to find it in a club, in an ism, in anything. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. something that you can, I I believe, I'm coming to believe that it's something that you can um, cultivate in a community, but only if it comes from within, you know, and you do that work within um, relentlessly, which Mm -hmm. is scary. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've definitely sought that out many times. What is that quote? I wouldn't want to be in any club that would have me as a member. Right, exactly. (laughs) I don't feel that way, but I feel that way some days. (laughs) Yeah, the pajama club. Exactly. That's what I'm wearing all day. That's what I got on. Uh, (laughs) uh, So you mentioned practices. Um, Mm -hmm. You're a yoga teacher. You are someone who... um, you you work a lot in the in the slow yoga space, I suppose. Um, was that always your draw into yoga? Was that your entry point? Mm-mm. No, my my first yoga class ever was Bikram, and I did that for a while when I was in college. And then from there, I tried I would say sweatier practices, more power flow kind of practices. I taught classes where. You know, I look at it now and think about the music I was playing or it was more for the excitement, the enthusiasm of it, less, I would say the intention was still um, sincere, but now my practices are really all about grounding, healing, landing. Mm -hmm. And that's because that's what I need on a regular basis. That's what my nervous system needs. I think yoga is an interesting space and I'm speaking to it as someone who has only ever kind of dabbled in my own practice. Um, But I find it a really interesting space because again, it exists on this spectrum, you know, Mm -hmm. of enthusiastic, super flexible, really young people on Instagram to, you know, (laughs) I'm so glad that didn't exist when I, right. Oh, I'm just glad Instagram (laughs) didn't exist when I was like, Oh my God. I had a Tumblr. I mean, I guess I had an Instagram. It was a Tumblr and it was my favorite thing in the world. I was like, can I bring Tumblr back? Can we just delete this? Just yes. do Tumblr? Yes, please. I, I mean, I've got a real soft spot for old school blogging. I really do. And I feel Me like too. there's a space mm-hmm. for it. Um, yeah, but I think yoga is, is fascinating to me because you've got this spectrum. And I mean, all of it's valid. No one can say that none of it's valid. But uh, I think that particularly if you're new to the space or you're feeling drawn to it, it can be really overwhelming. It's like, well, should mm-hmm. I be able to do a handstand and the splits? And then I, then I'm practicing yoga or can I just lay on the floor, you know, and is that yoga Mm -hmm. and and kind of allowing ourselves to experiment and play. And um, so when you teach slow flow yoga, what intention do you bring to yourself and to your, your classes? Um, I would say regulation of the nervous system is really high on my list. Um, A relationship with breath connection with breath. But my intentions for classes always shift. There's always something that I'm weaving through. But even the music I use is a certain BPM beats per minute that is based upon what you can breathe at. So if we're syncing our breath, our beat and our movement, it's something that will be soothing on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Not something where you're gasping for air. Right. Um, And, you know, what you said too about like handstand splits, things like that, I... What I love so much about yoga is it's the yoga of blank. And so it can be the yoga of washing the dishes, the yoga of 
uh, connecting with my son, the yoga of being in pigeon pose. So there's this, just like we talked about before, this, hu this huge range of what it is, but all encompassing yoga is a philosophy. Right. Yoga is a way of being yoga is a way, um, such a complement to our lives and our practices. Even if, you know, if you have a religious practice, it can be a wonderful complement. And so that's what I love so much about it is it's spacious. Mm -hmm. It allows, it mm -hmm. allows, it allows, it allows. And if it doesn't, that's not the yoga I want to be a part right. of. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a sense, it's, it's a way of being rather than the thing that we do. Yes. Mm. Yes. I think that's so important to keep in the back of our minds as we navigate life, you know, and it applies to so much that it can be a sense of a way of being rather than a thing that we do. And that can apply to the idea of slowness or intentions or values or embodiment or, you know, or yes. yoga, um, applying it more as a, a lens through which we see life rather than yes. a way that we approach 60 minutes a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and if it, you know, that's where it can start. And that's such a great space. But I think as a teacher, um, whenever a student sees an opening or like, oh, I'm a little kinder to myself off of my mat now, or I notice to breathe when I'm feeling uh, angry or stressed out or overwhelmed, like that to me is like, oh, okay, good. I'm doing my job. Like you're, you're getting that. And mm -hmm. so it wouldn't be for me as a teacher, like, oh, we've nailed a handstand. Like, that's fine. But the handstand is merely the shape for us to explore these concepts, right? It's like, oh, is a feeling of unworthiness coming up in this shape? Okay, then how can I use my practice, my breath to meet myself here? Mm -hmm. And that's, that for me is why, however many years it's been, 14, 15 years of teaching, like, I'm not even slightly bored. I love it. When you it's talk about, uh, and you, and that, that comes across in, in everything that you put out, you know, public facing, oh, good. It, does, it really does. <laughs> like you have a, uh, you have a, um, there's a delight there and an awe and a wonder there. And it's also really grounded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is not necessarily easy to do. So it reflects in the work that you put out there and the way that you, um, the way that you connect with people publicly. Uh, you you talk about embodiment as one of your favorite words, and it's also sort of one of the guiding principles in the way that you teach. What does embodiment mean? I mean, when you say embodiment, mm -hmm. what are you actually kind of talking about? Um, well, as far as a definition, it's really bringing form to a feeling or an idea. And so embodiment, like for instance, if we're writing our values and I write down that one of my values is soulfulness, but it just lives on the page of my notebook and I'm a Virgo nut. So it'll be written very beautifully with lots of markers, but if it stays in the notebook and it's not something that I'm bringing into my conversations, it doesn't exist in my yoga class. It's not something that I'm seeking out through teachers or artists or poets, whatever, then it's not actually embodied, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, um, it's simply an idea. And so it's bringing tangible form. So it's like taking that idea and putting it into action. And then another definition I love of it is um, being deeply present for direct experience. And I came across that, I can't remember years ago, and I've carried it with me of 
when I'm moving through grief, when I'm moving through doubt, how can I be deeply present for what's occurring, right? Not just seeking out what's joyful, mm. what I want, how I want this to go. And I, that's sort of, um, it's difficult, right? Because it operates against the status quo. You know, we typically want to go where things feel good. Um, mm. So it, there's a yeah. sense of courage and bravery and uh, anti-establishment rebellion to say, mm-hmm. actually, I'm going to go wherever I can meet the most direct experience, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of what that is, grief or loss or joy or mm-hmm. pleasure, or, you know, all of it. Um, and and I, I would say too, the going is actually the strain. Whatever is right here, that's the experience. So then if it's like, oh, this is grief or this is pain and I don't want to experience, that's the, I need to reach for something mm. else, right? Because it's like the thing I love about embodiment is there is nowhere to go. Right. <laughs> it's just right, right here. It's just right here. So, and I could be such a seeker of, okay, I need to read these 10 books. I need to do this. I want to do this training. Instead, it's just like, what's right here? Mm-hmm. What's right here? Mm. And there's ease there. It's not easy, but there is ease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, again, that's another thing you've just said that has hit me right in like between my ribs because <laughs> so often I'm like you know the answer will be in nature the answer will be outside mm. the answer will be in writing the answer will be in reading the answer will be in something mm. <laughs> I mean you yeah can, you can find opportunities to connect in those spaces mm-hmm. but we don't need to run anywhere yes and I think if we stay present then we can see where we want to go next yeah but if we're just trying to bypass what's occurring mm. to get to what's next we just missed all of it yeah and we use so many there are so many tools in you know today that we can use to bypass and to numb ourselves yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) and I mean and I do it I we all do it I I completely get it and I so often find myself realizing that that's what I'm doing like I'm I'm Mm -hmm. tired or I'm frustrated or I've had an argument with someone or you know whatever let me just slip into the oblivion for a minute and Mm -hmm the stuff that has happened is going to meet me on the other side. You know, we can't, absolutely. we can't push it away and it just disappears. It goes somewhere and that somewhere will have to be met. And that river of stuff will have to be crossed at some point. Do you, do you have like a daily practice? Do you have a way of checking in with yourself, a way of um, kind of calling attention to the times where you do step away from, from embodiment. Mm. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? I actually rebel against myself. If I have some kind of like set practice, like I will, I love to ask myself each day, like, how do I want to move? How do I want to explore? And that's usually what I do. So even yesterday, like what I found that I wanted was to do a long breathwork class that was recorded. And so I did that or the day before I wanted to go on a two mile walk outside all bundled up. It was like freezing cold, but there was not a cloud in the sky. It was so beautiful here in Colorado. And so I find, you know, as long as I'm coming into contact with my breath, as long as I'm coming into contact with my body and moving it in some way, which could be like literally laying down in pigeon pose or child's pose. And then, um, 
I just started writing again, just for me. And that feels really nice. Like I feel like for so long now, everything has been a blog post, a newsletter, Mm -hmm. an Instagram caption. It's like, I'm burnt on it, to be honest. Like I'm really, I have to go back in, in order to even, um, rediscover my love of writing because it's now become this kind of weird pressure thing, which I'm not interested in. Um, didn't you take a long break from Instagram? Like I did. Yeah. A year? Yeah. Um, first year of the pandemic, I kind of disappeared, um, mm-hmm. from everything, like from the podcast, from social yes, media, the newsletter. Yeah. Well, I mean, the yeah. newsletter still hasn't come back. <laughs> and I love the newsletter. <laughs> It is. I I do have plans, but um, yeah, sort of that. It, it was an intuitive thing. It was not something that I had, uh, you know, agonized over for months or anything like that. But similarly to you, I, there had been a slow building realization that this thing that I used to love doing, um, and add writing books on top of that, mm-hmm. it had become this pressured performance, outward facing sort of thing that had to be done, and that immediately changes the shape of the words on the paper it changes the way it feels as the words come out of me you know and it it's it senses my thoughts um instantly because it's like well this is not this is not uh, acceptable for public consumption so I'm just why bother writing it that's the stuff that I really should be diving into because that's the mess you know that's yes yes I'm craving the mess from everyone yeah. And myself. Yes, exactly. And and anytime, it's so interesting. Anytime that I'm actually brave enough to share something like that, people are like, oh my God, me too. You know, <laughs> right? But it's terrifying. It is. It is. And and there's this like um world of oversharing that doesn't land as authentically. Yes. I feel like too. It's like uh, I don't know how to define it, nor should I have me too. It's it's my own observation but I uh yeah I I think I did overshare for quite a while just from my own reflection now Mm. and it came from a good place but I now am trying to strike that balance between like what's for here and what's for here and how can they be bridged when processed not in the middle of process yes Exactly. Exactly. And that's been the rule that I have applied. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I can't remember if it was Elizabeth Gilbert or Brene Brown, but it was in a conversation between the two of them. And one asked the other, you know, you share a lot. How do you come to be at peace with that? And they said, well, I don't share as I'm processing, you know, if, oh, yeah. and I've been there, I've done that. Um, and it, yeah. it, it can be very damaging, you know, because you need mm-hmm. to be able to process that stuff in an, in yourself, in that security, um, you know, with a person that you trust or whether that person is you or someone else and not be fearful of judgment or input, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that sense mm-hmm. of oversharing that kind of permeates social media is our, it's our way of clawing for, for connection. You know, we're looking for those moments of, belonging and vulnerability but it's also something that we need to take seriously because you know you bear your soul you bear your heart and that is a very vulnerable part of yourself and to open it up to public comment or consumption is Mm -hmm. probably not the the best thing that we can do for ourselves um, Mm -hmm. particularly not long term or as a business model 
Yes, yes, yes. I think that that's something that I've probably swung the the other way on over the last year or so. You know, like you, I got really burnt out on writing, um, especially after the last book came out. And that was all tied up with health stuff and personal stuff. But I probably swung the other way quite far to the point where it's like I'm not giving anything at the moment. Um, <laughs> and that was again necessary but it's fine it's trying to find that space in between that kind of wobbly space in between that feels like it's connecting it feels like it's extending but it's not um processing in public yeah or draining you yeah (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) um now you spoke about values and I know that you've done a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work around um, defining your values and, and pulling them into the center of your work and your life. Uh, do you have two separate sets of values? Mm-mm. Just one. Yeah. I'm always curious about that. And something people ask me a lot and I'm, I'm the same. I only have one. Um, but I can also understand why people, particularly if their work is not something they feel aligned with in sense Absolutely. of values, why they would mm-hmm. have two. Mm-hmm. Did you go through a particular process to arrive at yours or do you go through a particular process to, to kind of hone in on them? Um, you know, Jackie and I, when we had Rock Your Bliss, we did a ton of values work and she continues to, and I continue to do Jackie's work and she does mine, which is awesome. Um, and so I'm always coming back to them. I added, so my, my current ones right now are soulful, embodied and rooted. And I added rooted this year. I felt kind of like a balloon without a string last year, just floating. Well, you know, we tried to schedule this like five times and it's not my nature. Like I'm very much like earthy ground. That's where I thrive. And last year just felt like a balloon without a string. Mm -hmm. And so this year was all about that return to like nesting, even return to relationships that I've had for a long time to to make sure that I'm nurturing those and checking back in. That's something that I relate to a lot in terms of relationships. I think the last couple of years particularly have been tough in that regard because, you know, Mm -hmm. we all turned inward, but at the same time, we're all a little lost or a lot lost, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as things have changed and continue to change so rapidly. And I think it's interesting to see, and I've seen it in my community recently people are looking for that sense of um connection and it's about how we identify and then develop those relationships and nurture the ones that already exist Mm -hmm. to a point where we find that sense of belonging that sense of um you know we spoke before about belonging coming from within but I don't think we can do it in a vacuum forever you know I think it's really not at all why the tendency to be more of a lone wolf. Like I definitely identify as being more introverted, but I also know I need people. And one of my friends, Jordan was just here and we were talking and he's similar. And he was saying how he goes to a coffee shop twice a week just to work around people. And I said, yeah, me too. I love being alone together. It's like one of my favorite things. Like I love, love, love to go sit somewhere in a big city where no one knows me, I don't know them, and just sit and like feel energy moving by, watch people. Like it's one of, I've loved it since I was a little kid. But I also know I need 
people. Mm. And we moved from East LA where I'd lived for 12 years. My husband had been there for 16. We moved from there to a tiny mountain town and we live at 8,700 feet on top of a mountain. Like it's just a little town is 10,000. Jackie lives here, my best friend, which is amazing. But it was still, we moved here in a pandemic. Like Mm. it was such an interesting time to move and it continues to be. And I know, like I, even being up here, I'll drive into Denver, which is not far, but I'll drive into Denver to just have the experience of the city, to sit in a coffee shop where I don't know anyone. Yeah. But I love that. It feeds me. I'm exactly the same. Uh, And I I guess I'm curious. So I'm, oh, I'm not going to unpack it all um, live (laughs) on the podcast, but (laughs) please. bear your soul um I, I I'm much the same in that I have for a long time prided myself on that lone wolf kind of mentality mm-hmm. but I think a lot of that pride came from fear of what would happen if I put myself in the way of mm. people that I really like and they found me lacking you know um how because we moved to our small town about nine months before the pandemic so we had a little bit of time to connect and and meet people but not a lot and then obviously once the pandemic hit we were locked down on and off for over a year and even when we weren't people were very much um wanting to connect with their their people you know people that they knew Mm -hmm. it was like let me get back what felt like home exactly so you know people haven't you forget how to talk oh that's so (laughs) real (laughs) what do I do with my hands when I'm doing this and you know um I love the feeling of being alone with people. Um, but I also have recognized in myself in the last couple of years, a gap, you know, there is a gap that cannot be filled by aloneness together. <laughs> it just, mm-hmm. it just can't. So it's, or the internet. Right. Oh yes, definitely not the internet. <laughs> uh, as you know, as valid as some of the relationships that I have formed mm-hmm. online are, and as heart filling as they are, it, it, for me, it's not the same. So it's, I, I find myself in this position as a deeply introverted person having to create opportunities for connection. So like I recently started a writer's group in my town um, oh, and that felt, I come. right, totally. <laughs> We've had someone who asked if they could Skype in from um, like Kazakhstan. So oh, wow. I mean, you can join us, <laughs> uh, but it was just six people and we sat in a room and we you know do it every fortnight and just talk about words and you know that there was a sense there of I feel like I've I've stumbled on something and people listening are probably like yeah duh you know that's what happens when you connect with people but it has been such a such a process I think for me to get there yeah 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 I feel well and my job was so social like I was constantly in front of people talking to people, like traveling and teaching these huge festivals. And so that part of me was always quite fulfilled. Right. You know, and now I teach virtually and I've still created, I mean, I made one friend from my classes that I talked to, well, we text every day, checking in on one another. And so that feels really special, but it, now I do notice I'm like, okay, I haven't actually been around humans besides my family in a couple of days. Can I go down to the market? Can I go for a walk around the lake? Can I go down to Jackie's for coffee? And so I think knowing that even though at times my safety is being at home in my pajamas, that 
I will feel better. Just like we said about other things, like on the other side is space on the other side is connection on the other side is also knowing yourself differently than you can know yourself solo. Yeah. And I think that is really important for me. It's like, I I have a very um, intimate understanding of who I am by myself, you know, because that's (laughs) where I spend the vast majority of my time. Me too. Uh, Me but too. you absolutely do learn things about yourself when you are put in the vicinity of others. And particularly when you're put in the vicinity of others and are willing to, you know, be present, to show up, to mm-hmm. be interested and um, engaged, you know. Mm-hmm. And practice embodiment yes. when you're not just alone, right, in, a, in your room practicing yoga. My husband is so extroverted, like wildly extroverted and a Gemini. And so it's so, his fear is being by himself. Right. Right. Like if I leave town, he has plans every second. But if he's gone right now, I kept my kid home from school to watch Sing (laughs) 2. And that's as wild as it's going to get, Brooke. You are living on the edge. That's the socializing. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I'm like that that's as that's as social as it's getting (laughs) I mean I'm here for that that is absolutely (laughs) my jam um so I mean you mentioned just in passing then like practicing embodiment away from your own company you know from only your own company and I think that is such a practical tool that probably everyone can use and you know put in their pocket because at the times that I've been able to do that, and I don't think I was realizing that's what I was doing, but thinking about it now, you know, it's tapping into those physical sensations of terror or um, nerves or fear or joy or, you know, or um, euphoria at having been seen and understood, like all of those things. And it's kind of tapping into the physical sensation, asking yourself, well, what does that thing here just under my sternum, what does that mean maybe do you have any suggestions for people or me mm-hmm. um to, <laughs> yeah. to practice that I mean through your yoga teaching and through your learning are there places in the body that certain emotions that certain experiences will show up mm-hmm. yeah even I just did it like three minutes ago when we were talking I noticed I was getting very much in my head so I was like yeah, even as I was speaking I was like okay feel your seat Notice how your belly is, relax it, notice your heart. Like I I do get a lot of energy from people. So I have to, okay, like relax my shoulders, relax my jaw, even just that kind of checking in. I, when I'm driving, I'll often just put my hand over my heart, feel like the heat on my skin, notice the rise and fall of my chest, maybe my heartbeat. So you're looking for subtleties that are occurring Mm. because they land you back in the present. Yeah. Right. So, so perhaps, I mean, you're breathing all day, but how often are you consciously breathing? And when you consciously breathe, what's on the other side of that? Mm. So one breath you can practice too, it's called box breath and you inhale to a count of four. So it's a slow count of four, your own count. You hold for four, exhale for four hold out for four. So as I do it, I trace a square in my mind of inhale, hold, exhale, hold. And that too, especially if your mind is going all over the place, right? Then it grounds you back in your body. 
And my coach said something to me the other day, we were talking about just, you know, everything going on. And like, even as I was talking, I almost had like this eagle eye view of myself, just, you know, just mind going. And she said, not now, not yet. Right. To everything I said that was coming up as anxiety, not now, not yet, not now, not yet. Every, um, mostly I was talking about things my friends were going through, right? Nope. That's not for her to, that's not occurring right now for her. It's not now, not yet, not now, not yet. And so finding that and then realizing like, okay, what's happening right in this moment. And I think that's where breath and body Mm. sensation is so great at bringing us back into the present. Yeah. It's just that practice of noticing, you know, of showing up in Mm -hmm. whatever we notice. Um, It's interesting to me that mindfulness, right, has been kind of hijacked uh, over the last few years (laughs) as this commercialized, commercialized kind of tool that we need to pay for and, uh, or it's become this, like, it's a, another branch to productivity. (laughs) Oh God. You know, uh, it's, I don't need another branch. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) It is too many branches. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and ultimately that's what it is. It's just Mm -hmm. being mindful. And I wrote about it in slow actually. And I remember the day that I realized what mindfulness really means. And it is, it's the opposite of mindless. And that sounds ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but I was living mindlessly and it was kind of going through the motions and pushing forward and ticking boxes and playing with all those branches of the productivity tree and waiting for the moment of fulfillment, the moment of going, oh, I did it. I ticked them all off and I have mm-hmm. elevated myself to the next level of humanness. It never came, obviously. And I just ground through every moment of every day waiting for something. And it was mindless. You know, and and not only was it mindless in and of itself, but I was doing things to make it more mindless. You know, like I wrote in slow, I would drink a bottle of wine every night um, to kind of keep the lid on the worst of it because the <laughs> stuff that I was not paying attention to kept bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up. Yeah. So, you know, recognizing that that was mindless and mindful was the opposite. So it's like, okay, let's just pay attention to the tiniest thing you know, whether that is in me or around me didn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think taking that idea of paying attention, of noticing and applying it to our physical sensations sometimes and the voice that is constantly rattling around in the head is so powerful and it's accessible all the time. That's what I love. Always. Yep. That's the work. And I mean, that is embodiment. That's exactly what you've described. And what I like to look at too, is like, where's the soul in this? Yeah. Right. Like if I look at my list, it's just a list, which has been the case the last couple of weeks. I've had some things to tick off the list that make my eyes, you know, it's just the worst of the worst. But it's also like, okay, how can I ground myself in my seat before I sit on this call for an hour and a half with insurance? You know, how can I, can I make myself a tea? Can I ask myself how I'm feeling? Like these moments of and, and to what you said about alcohol, which I certainly relate to is this, like that we think we're keeping the lid on and it's never going to come off. <laughs> right. That we think that that is actually making us feel better. Yeah. And as we talked about before, it's just a deficit, like constant deficit. And alcohol is one example. Social media is another example to do listing our lives away is another example. 
right? This hustle culture um, certainly is an example. And I love to just check in of like, what is seeped into my own psyche? What belongs to me? And what am I returning? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating to me. Um, our daughter's 13 and only just beginning to, with a lot of guidance <laughs> from me, dip her toe into the greater world, you know, including social media yeah. and the internet. And it's scary, but Ooh. we have lots of conversations about the importance of thinking critically, you know, some, mm. you're going to come across so many opinions and some of those opinions will be genuine and some of them will be designed to manipulate you into thinking a certain way. And some of those opinions will be about getting you to buy something and, you know, just okay. learning and relearning and relearning how to um, navigate that and how to sort of say, well, Who's benefiting from this? You know, I can be open to opinions, of course, yes. but who's benefiting from this? And um, I have hope that her generation might have more capacity for that critical thought because they're coming up at a time where they need to, which is, you know, there's pros and cons, I suppose. But whereas our generation, like I, I didn't get my first phone until I was at uni, um, you know, I remember getting on the internet and having to dial up and getting off anytime my friend's dad wanted to make a phone call and like, <laughs> yeah. all, you know, oh all that kind God. of stuff. So we kind of had to make up our rules of engagement on the fly almost. And I have hope that her generation will be able to face it with more critical thought. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that constant checking in saying, okay, what, what is seeping in? What is, mm -hmm. And how much of that is something that I can absorb of um, that, that I can see as, you know, personal evolution and how much of it is warping, you know, who I am and how mm -hmm. I see myself in the world. I love the who's benefiting question. I've never thought about that. I mean, I have, but not in that, like, I feel like that's going to go on a sticky note right here because it's true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, that that black and white thinking that has sort of trailed its way through this whole conversation is an example of that. It's, you know, mm -hmm. sowing division might be what these opinions or, you know, this person or this organization is trying to do. Um, and how, why are they benefiting from that? And what mm -hmm. is the flow on of that in my life, in my family, in my community, in society? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then sometimes when that feels too much, it's also really wonderful to know that we can come back to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And just take the deep breaths, mm -hmm. right? Feel your seat, pause, mm -hmm. see what, what's the, what is Glennon say? What's the next right choice? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My kids and I always quote um, Frozen 2. Just do the mm -hmm. next right thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I bet I'm watching that next. <laughs> Mary Beth, thank you so much for today. It's been a genuinely wonderful conversation and I know that I'm going to think about it for a long time. Yeah, I, I appreciate it and I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Ditto. And this was right on time. This is the day that we were supposed to talk. I feel 100%. it. 100%. <laughs> yeah, 100%. As you didn't course. want to talk to me in October. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me.